Domestic or intimate partner violence is a complex and silent epidemic that affects millions of people worldwide. To respond to the overwhelming issues associated with domestic violence, Randy's House of Angels has produced a series of podcasts beginning in October that will bring this epidemic to the forefront of public consciousness and break the silence that often shrouds it. I'm Paul Miller, the producer of this program, and we invite you to access the podcasts by going to randyshouseofangels.org. Today's guests on the Randy's House of Angels podcast are Sierra McGrath and Emily Ott. Sierra McGrath is the coordinator of the Pride and Gender Equity Center at Shippensburg University. The PAGE Center offers a focal point in making the institution a more inclusive, safer, and more equitable environment for all university community members, including LGBTQ plus students, women, LGBTQ plus men, and agender students. The center offers, among a multitude of other resources, a commitment to respect and building trusting relationships, a resource for learning and matters relevant to gender-based violence and violence prevention, confidential resource to discuss physical and sexual victimization, and a resource for safe zone and healthy relationships presentation. Emily Yacht is the Public Education Coordinator at Domestic Violence Services of Cumberland and Perry Counties. As the Public Education Coordinator, she is responsible to develop, coordinate, facilitate, and evaluate intimate partner violence education programs provided to staff, volunteers, and other organizations in the community. In addition, Emily provides individual empowerment counseling to survivors of intimate partner violence, assists with support groups, and answers 24-hour crisis hotline calls. Today's podcast facilitator is Sherry Peters, a master's level social worker who is a nationally recognized facilitator in the children's mental health field. Formerly the director of the Psychiatric Residential Treatment Facility Waiver Initiative at Georgetown University's National Technical Assistance Center for Children's Mental Health, Ms. Peters also spent 21 years in the Pennsylvania State Office of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services, working on children's mental health policy and program development after working as a therapist in residential and community settings. So today we will be talking about healthy relationships. Joining us are Emily Ott and Sahara McGrath. So how can someone know if they are in a healthy relationship or not? So asking ourselves if we feel we're in a healthy relationship or not is definitely an important question that we can all ask ourselves, but especially if you're worried that your relationship might not be healthy or that your partner is abusive, um, especially if they're showing signs of some of those controlling behaviors. Everybody is different and every situation is different, but in general, there's definitely some key things that you could kind of do to ask yourself. One is... Do I feel safe with this person physically and emotionally? Or do I feel like I'm always walking on eggshells? Am I worried how they're going to react when I say things? Or do they yell? Do they make demands? Do they make degrading comments? Um, You could also ask yourself, like, do I feel my partner respects me? Do they encourage me to spend time with other people, have hobbies, have interests of my own? Um, Or are they exhibiting maybe seeming threatened or insecure when you spend time away from them. 
the last thing that I would say on that, and then I'll pass it to my buddy Sahara, would be does your relationship feel like a partnership? Do you both share in responsibilities? Are you both sharing in chores, taking care of the kids, pets, etc.? Yeah, absolutely. Um, just to like add on, because Emily covered so much already, having just communication with your partner is if you can't communicate, you just need to be able to talk out all your feelings. Um, if you want to talk different hobbies, do you want to start a new job? Do you want to move? Being able to talk about all these different things in your life and not being afraid to communicate that. Being able to send a text, make a call, talk in person, and know that you're not going to get judged for what you say. And again, just not being afraid. So having great communication is such a great sign to see if you're in a healthy relationship or not. And that can also be said with your friendships as well, mm. because you can be in toxic friendships and abusive friendships and um, same as romantic relationships. Those are such important points that you've both raised. And I wonder if you might, we've heard the term intimate partner violence, and I wonder if one or both of you might want to say more about that. Sure. So um, there are a couple of different terms that people typically used when talking about this topic, domestic violence or intimate partner violence or relationship violence, family violence. They all really boil down to the same thing. I prefer the term intimate partner violence just because I think it's a little bit more inclusive. Um, I think for a long time, people thought that domestic violence could only happen between a male and a woman who are married. So kind of that classic domestic violence would come to mind. Whereas now we need to be more open-minded that domestic violence or intimate partner violence can look like a lot of different things. And it's not just with married couples, it's with any romantic partner. And I like that Sahara touched on really, it can be between friendships, really any relationship that you hold. I also prefer the intimate partner violence term as well, just because of the inclusivity. Um, because when learning about domestic violence um, in some of my classes, it felt that we were very focused on married men and women and it was always the women who experienced the brunt of the violence which is not true it's not always the case it can be same-sex couples it can be a man can also experience um the violence as well anyone is vulnerable and anyone can be susceptible to it so we need to be aware that it isn't just a married couple so you raised some extremely important points because we all have some sort of stereotypes in our heads, right? And mm -hmm. you've talked about some myth busters here, so mm -hmm. it's not always what we've sort of imagined. Mm -hmm. yeah. What are some warning signs of abuse? I know you've already talked about some of those things that are probably warning signs. Are, are there other things that people can look for? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Specifically for me, when I think of different like red flags or green flags in different relationships. One of my main ones is they don't let you go see your friends or they make a big deal of you going out. It's like that loss of trust is they don't like when you go see your family or if you have a new coworker at work, they start to get jealous. And like jealous is a human emotion, but sometimes jealousy can just be also a very disgusting human emotion. And if your partner is constantly jealous of your friends, your family, your life outside of each other, then it's a sign that you should take that that's a red flag. Because also, you should still be your own person outside of your relationship. You should still be independent. You should still have your own likes, your own hobbies, your own dislikes. And if you start to merge into this other person just to please them, then you're not your own self anymore. And independence is such an important thing that we all have. 
Yeah, and I think Sahara definitely touched on a lot of the important ones. I think the key thing to keep in mind, well, there's a lot of things to keep in mind with red flags, but they typically start out small um, and then they escalate over time. And that's done very intentionally on the part of the abusive party. But some of the key, and we could talk forever about some of that stuff, but just to touch again on some of the common red flags, definitely extreme jealousy and possessiveness. Um, A lot of that can come through from natural things that we all experience. I like how you put that. These are all natural human emotions that we're going to feel time to time. But the key to kind of recognizing them as red flags is when they're frequent, when it becomes a pattern, when it becomes to a point where you are feeling afraid that your partner is going to explode on you at any second or they're making these demands. I think we see a lot of that play out with especially what we have at our fingertips now with technology. Um, Partners making demands of needing all your account information, your passwords to social media, and making it instead of it being a conversation, which would be healthy in a relationship because some couples do want to share that information and that's okay if it's mutually agreed upon. But when they're making demands and wanting to kind of keep tabs on you, that's when it's a cause for concern. The other really important red flag that I always want to make sure I touch on is the threat to harm you or themselves. Mm -hmm. We hear this all the time on the hotline. I hear it all the time in the schools that I'm in locally. It's really, so like, just to be clear, like we're talking about when your partner is saying things like, if you leave me, I will kill myself or I'll hurt myself. And that's a really scary thing for someone to say to you. Um, And it's one of, I think, the most manipulative tactics that we hear a lot being used in intimate partner violence situations because it puts the survivor in that position where the abuser is kind of weaponizing their good character against them because they know that person loves them. They know that person cares about them. And so they're kind of then put in that predicament of, well, I don't want them to do that. So now I have to take care of them even further, even more than what I've been doing. So it's just, it's a really scary tactic and a really effective tactic that abusers can use to keep that person feeling trapped in that relationship. There's a ton others. At at some point, I'm hoping we'll touch on Mm -hmm. like sexual coercion. That's always a big one. I'm curious about the threat to harm oneself if the person leaves. What are some of the strategies that a person could use if that is the situation? It's really hard for someone to leave a violent relationship. Correct me if I'm wrong, Emily, is it nine times? Seven to 11 times. Seven to 11 times for somebody to leave um, in an intimate partner relationship. Some of the strategies that they, you can use is just reaching out to a hotline or one of your local resources. Because a lot of, especially in our area here, um, we have so many shelters that will take you in that don't have addresses that are public. So someone, if they're afraid that their partner's going to come for them, they will not be able to come find them. Being able to go there and utilize their local resources is just one big thing. And then calling these hotlines because you can hang up as soon as you want. You can tell as little or as much information as you want. It's in your control. And just being able to start getting more in control is... Help me out here, Emily. Yeah, no, that's such an important part. I think two things come to mind with some of the stuff that you were sharing, Sahara. One is I do agree that... Unless you feel you are in immediate danger, then you should always be calling 911. Yep. The police, they're the f- first responders that can address your immediate safety. However, I do agree that 
if you're in a situation where you're thinking like, I really don't know what I want to do, I don't know if I want police involved, a hotline is a really great place to start because then you do have that power in your hands to say like, I want to take this further or I don't. Mm -hmm. I want to leave or I don't. Whereas sometimes when law enforcement gets involved and it's their job, you might no longer have a say in what happens because it'll be up to them if they want to press charges in some cases. And so that can feel really scary for survivors when they want that abuse to stop, but they don't necessarily want their abuser, that person that they still love, to get in trouble. Thanks so much for that explanation. And I'd like to go a little further on the tools and resources that folks might be able to use to distinguish between a healthy and an unhealthy relationship. I guess we can start with the power and control. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So there are different tools that we use, and one of those is um, called the power and control wheel. Um, And for those listening, it's split up into um, eight different sections. Yeah, and actually, before we jump into that, could Mm -hmm. I, I kind of have a little spiel that I'd like to share about the power and control wheel. Just because I do think these are such effective tools, especially when whether someone's trying to self-assess, am I in a healthy relationship or not? It's something that we use with a lot of our clients, a lot of our survivors to even help them heal so that they kind of can kind of see concretely on paper like oh that happened to me and yes that is abuse Mm -hmm. but one of the cool things about the power and control wheel is that it was created by survivors so I think right then and there that speaks volumes as far as we're not just random experts saying this is abuse this is survivors who are saying this is what it looks like this is what it feels like to be in an intimate partner violence situation Um, and I think the other thing before we get into like how the wheel is broken out I always like to point out that they put my interpretation and how it was always explained to me is they put physical and sexual violence on the outer ring of the wheel because that's typically what things can escalate to that's typically often labeled as the most extreme version of intimate partner violence and I have quotes around extreme Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but it doesn't start there. It's the day-to-day behaviors that we're going to walk you through that is more so what that day-to-day life looks like and feels like for survivors. Randy's Camp for Hope and Courage is scheduled for July 10th through 12th in 2024. Contact Nancy Chavez at 717-503-4498 or email randyshouseofangels at gmail.com to sign up your child. It does cost about $400 to send a child to Randy's Camp or Randy's Kids Club. If you are interested in sponsoring a child, please reach out to Nancy Chavez for more information. But yeah, for these eight different sections, like the first one um, we can go over is just using intimidation. So that can be making you afraid by just using a look or a gesture. Um, Like if you say you're out to eat with your friends and they give you that look, they give you that, hey, don't say that. Don't talk about that. Hey, be quiet. Um, And then you automatically do. could be smashing things. Um, So say you're having an argument and they decide to get violent, but not towards you, but towards some of the things that might be in your household. Abusing pets, displaying weapons. Again, one of these big things is just, again, using those looks, actions, or gestures. So it may not be they have to put your hands on you to make you stop, but they, you're so afraid by just one look or them 
just making one gesture like a point or something that you automatically just stop what you're doing. Another intimidation technique is just standing in front of the door or the exit. So if you get into a fight, they might be blocking the front door. So if you want to try to run away, they'll be there. Yeah. um, And if I could just add to the using intimidation, um, one of the things that sticks out to me with intimidation and something we see often um, at domestic violence services of Carmelin and Perry counties is, first of all, we know that the presence of a weapon, um, specifically guns, Mm -hmm. when there's intimate partner violence happening actually increases the chance of lethality. So someone being murdered by 500 percent right out the gate just by having that presence of the of the gun in the household. And the other thing, and this will kind of come up as we go through some of these that I always like to share, is that there is a lot of research out there on lethality factors. So those predictors that can let us know and, and something that we use as advocates to assess for to try to determine how at risk is this person of being seriously harmed physically or killed. Mm-hmm. And displaying weapon or making a threat with any type of weapon is one of those top lethality factors. So it's something that we assess for. It's something that local law enforcement assess for. Every single um, police department in Cumberland County uses this. And so when they're called out into the scene, they are supposed to go through these lethality factors. It's like a little questionnaire. And if they're checking off a lot of these, then they get that person in contact with their local center to try to disrupt what's happening and get that person the help that they need. Um, so intimidation can look like a lot of different things, but I just wanted to highlight the the use of the weapons there. The next section is uh, using emotional abuse. Um, working with college kids, I actually I actually see this a lot. And I see this among friendships a lot as well, and not even just uh, romantic partnerships anymore, but um, having people put you down, making you feel bad about yourself. And at times you're like, oh, they're just teasing. We're just, it's just my friend. It's just my partner. It's a thing that we do. And that is just trying to reassure yourself that what they're doing is supposed to be okay. And it's, it's not. Calling you names or just playing mind games in general and making you always think on your toes making you feel guilty about different things. So if you decide to make a, if you choose to do something, they're gonna make you feel guilty about whatever choice you make. And that also goes into playing different mind games is they're not actually giving you a choice. No matter what, they're gonna make you feel guilty because they wanna continue to put you down. Um, Making you question your identity and then also reinforcing like internalized phobias and isms and making you think, oh, maybe what you're talking about isn't racist or homophobic. You have a good point there. And just making you think, question everything you've ever thought of. Um, And I see this so much with college kids and it breaks my heart every time to see someone in a toxic friend group and they're constantly being belittled or put down. But to them, it's a new sense of friendship and independence, especially with freshmen, that they're trying to make these new relationships and they just don't know how and they don't know these signs. Yeah. A couple of things with using emotional abuse. I had a colleague once who once described it as the battering of someone's soul, their dignity of worth, and their self-esteem. And I think that definitely rings true for kind of what this does to a person when they're hearing day in and day out from their partner, from someone that they love, who claims to love them, and maybe does on some level. That I think these things are too complex to just outright label what that is, but it's not love when you're treating someone this yeah. way. We can definitely say that. But, you know, I think the other thing with emotional abuse is that, and there's an activity that I've done around this that really illustrates it the best. When you have, when you first meet this part person, 
they're typically love bombing you. That's kind of a newer term where they're just showering you with this love and affection. They're really trying to build that trust and rapport up with you really quickly to get you to trust them, to kind of put your guard down, to basically spill your guts and fall in love with them very quickly. But then what they do once they pull that rug or pull those curtains back is that they're using that same information against you because then they know what's going to hurt you the most and they know how to do it in a way that, and I like Mm -hmm. how you touched on that, where someone's going to question themselves or maybe dismiss it or maybe just think like, oh, well, yeah, I really was doing X, Y, and Z, and maybe that's why they thought that they had to say that. And I think it, it kind of comes into play with the denying, minimizing, and blaming that we'll get to, too. But it is typically done in a very manipulative way where when that person does try to speak up for themselves, they'll say things like, well, you're too sensitive, or really, can't you take a joke? Or, oh, it's okay when you joke, but when I try to joke, yeah, X, Y, Z. Yeah, I'm glad you use those examples because love, bomb- yeah, love bombing is very real because then another phrase that I was thinking of was, oh, if you love me, then it's fine. Like, mm-hmm. um, oh, but you love me. It's okay. And then that adds on to the guilt. Like, oh, wait, I do love them. I shouldn't have said that. Oh, I mm-hmm. shouldn't have done that. Um, and then that can escalate to what we talked about earlier with the threat of harming themselves and lethality. It just, it starts so small and then it just escalates so fast. Mm-hmm. So the next part of the wheel would be using isolation. Um, just to kind of define that, that's controlling what you do, who you see or talk to, limiting your outside activities, making you account for your whereabouts, saying no one will believe you and not letting you go anywhere alone. There's Again, a lot that could be said here. Um, Just some of my personal highlights for this one that I see a lot with with clients is saying no one will believe you is one of the most, Mm -hmm. (laughs) unfortunately, powerful tools to kind of keep that person keeping what's going on secretive, keeping it behind closed doors. Because they do feel like no one will believe me because on the outside, oh, our family and friends really do love this person and they do see this person as a really good person or they're really well-respected in the community. Or sometimes there might even be power differentials in the relationship that kind of get highlighted with these things. Like if the abusive partner is highly educated or in a profession where they kind of have that esteem behind their name, whereas the other partner maybe doesn't. And we also see isolation in very literal ways too, especially with our Perry County clients. It's not uncommon for us to hear from clients who live up there who might not have neighbors within walking distance. Oh, when my partner leaves for work, they take my phone, they take out our internet, like, and they have literally no way to reach out for help. Mm -hmm. This one really hits with um, when COVID was going on, when they were locked in their house Mm -hmm. with their violent partner and isolation became normal for everyone because everyone was supposed to isolate themselves. But for those who were stuck in this not even stuck, just who were already in these intimate partner relationships, they they couldn't leave their house. And now there was an actual reason their partner could use to keep them in their house, and that was COVID. And we saw such an increase in hotline calls and people reaching out for help because any kind of slice that they of freedom that they had was taken away from the pandemic. And it really it really hurt when I had to have some students contact me over COVID, even just... Um, from abusive households and they just couldn't, they just couldn't leave. Mm -hmm. 
That's so true with student to just again to expand kind of what's coming to mind as we're going through these scenarios. I'm actually getting ready to do a vicarious trauma training for another local campus um, because their admissions staff reached out and was Mm -hmm. like, our people are constantly being bombarded with stories of students sharing these things, writing them in their admissions essay of being abused at home. Um, So that's just another way to kind of look at these things. And and that's kind of a part of the child abuse realm, too. But it definitely that's where intimate partner violence and child abuse definitely overlap. Oh, yeah. The next part of the wheel, because we've kind of also started talking about it, is denying, minimizing and blaming. So making light of the abuse, saying it didn't happen, Um, shifting responsibility, like how Emily was saying earlier, well, why can't you just take a joke? Saying it's their fault and they deserved it from their actions. And by saying that so much, you start to believe that it is your fault. And that's why it's so hard for survivors to leave relationships because they believe everything that has occurred is their fault. It is not anyone's fault ever. I really want to reiterate that it is never anyone's fault. Saying it's just fighting, not abuse is every couple fights and every couple does fight. Um, But that's when we go back to how I was talking about communication is if you have healthy communication, your fight can get resolved, um, small arguments, but sometimes it's not just fighting or accusing you of making them abuse you. Like your actions are so awful that they have to abuse you and there's no other choice. And again, it, it's never anyone's fault. And these phrases, and there's so many that we've talked about, mm-hmm. is they're just blaming you to make you feel guilty inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure I even have much to add to that. You covered it really well. Um, And gaslighting is one of those terms, so minimizing, denying, and blaming that is, I mean, that's gaslighting. I think it's one of those terms that I'm glad people are recognizing it more and and using it more, but at the same time, I just want to caution people to make sure we're using it correctly, um, especially when it comes to intimate partner violence, because these things are real. Mm -hmm. Um, So if someone's telling you that they're feeling gaslit, again, we have to believe them. Yeah. So it seems like we're almost out of time. Yeah, so just going we... real quickly for the rest of the yeah. wheel. Um, these wheels are for free the... resources online. But for the rest of power control, there is also using children to make you feel guilty, uh, privileges, economic abuse, and, of course, coercion and threats. Mm-hmm. Um, we won't be able to go into too much detail with those. But, again, it's a free resource online. Mm-hmm. Um, and then go ahead, Emily. Yeah, and I think we'll talk about those in our next session, that other kind of half of the wheel. But just to wrap mm-hmm. up, too, I want to make sure we're highlighting. So there's also – we've been talking a lot about the power and control wheel. I want to make sure we're highlighting the equality wheel. Oh, yeah. So that's a really good way. Those are the green flags, if you will. So – the good things that you do need in any healthy relationship. Um, I don't know that we'll go through these piece by piece like we did um, with the power and control wheel, but just the first half that we'll be looking at is the non-threatening behavior, respect, trust and support, and honesty and accountability are super important to any healthy relationship. Um, And Mm -hmm. if you have specific questions, we can definitely go through some of those if you want. So the uh, the wheels that you've talked about will absolutely be available on Randy's House of Angels website so that folks who have been listening today can actually find both wheels, the power and control wheel and the equality wheel, Mm -hmm. so that they can take a look at their own relationships and assess for themselves where they think they stand. You've used so many great examples today that I think our listeners will be really able to see whether or not their relationship 
has some red flags or what you might talk about more next time is green flags. Mm -hmm. So please stay tuned for the second part of this uh, episode and we hope you'll come back. Randy's House of Angels is sponsoring a series of podcasts that will serve as a resource to anyone impacted by domestic violence, including parents, guardians, caseworkers, health providers, advocates, teachers, trauma specialists, clinicians, and more to provide an overview of domestic violence and how to handle situations where domestic violence is present. This is a series of 10 podcasts that will include an overview in healthy relationships, the different types of abuse, supporting someone who is engaged in an unhealthy relationship, and criminal justice resources available to victims. It will also include testimony and stories from courageous survivors who are victims of domestic violence. The podcast will be released starting in October of 2023 and run through February of 2024. If you miss a podcast, it will be made available on demand on Randy's House of Angels website at randyshouseofangels.org. After you've listened to our podcast, we would love to hear from you. Your feedback is crucial for the future of our podcast programs. There is a survey available on our website at randyshouseofangels.org. You can also reference the resources that support the podcast on the website, again, at randyshouseofangels.org. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.